Okay, here we go, here we go. Good to see you back. It seems late in the year, but actually it's only one day later than we started last year, so this is about the normal rhythm. We'll go, uh, we'll go a few times. Um, as you're getting settled in, you don't have to stop talking yet. We'll, um, we'll pass the hat for Christmas sharing. Uh, Christmas sharing is, you know, this great thing that happens here. Bob Donish brought it to us. Carol Holzer's taking it over. Bob Donish is actually the area coordinator. Carol Holzer takes it over here. It's an easy thing. It's basically Christmas for people who can't afford to have Christmas. So from your gifts, you know, then, you know, people come and shop for Christmas uh, on the couple days before. So if you got an extra, you know, 25 cents, drop it in the bag. Carol Heidorn takes care of that. So that's good to see. Uh, I'll send a sheet around behind that. If you could sign in, that would be good. Watch, wow, there's even pens here. That's starkly organized. How are you, Betty? That thing working? Fantastic. It's good to see you. Uh, you want to mark your name on that and hand it to those nice people behind you? As you know, the catechumenate started up last week, so we've got a lot of new folks around. When you see them, be nice to them, talk to them. We had a great day yesterday morning, a couple of great days yesterday morning. People who helped with the uh, with next door, attend uh, the schedule now. You know, the move-in is scheduled for the first half, sometime in the first half of next year. But the guys who have been working over there uh, have really done a lot of work, saved us a, a lot of money and really advanced the cause. So we're very grateful to all those people. Rich Wren and Steve as, as kind of the official, uh, you know, he's the governing board guy, but Steve Chester's been very helpful and Marty Johnson's been over there and we've had uh, you know, a run of guys. Bruce Klein, as the architect, has gone above and beyond what we could ever hope for in terms of uh, what's happening. So it's okay to begin to get excited about that, okay? I, I know it's been a little bit of a time, and, but uh, it's nice. Okay, we're uh, 17 Sundays after Pentecost, so let's pray, and then we'll have a go. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, comfort of the sorrowful and strength of the weary, May the prayers of all that call upon you in any trouble come into your presence, that they may rejoice in their need that your mercy has been with them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Well, that was fortuitous because I, I hadn't read that prayer in advance. It's just the old lectionary prayer for this Sunday. But mercy is the key. So uh, we'll spend a few, let's spend a few uh, weeks at least or a few months talking about mercy. Uh, I'm going to try to, you know, in the past, I've run you, sometimes I've given an outline that we spend six weeks on. I'm going to try not to do that to you. I'm going to try to scooch through the outline. You'll have to slow me down if uh, it gets going too fast, but I presume a fairly high level of expertise with you all, so the worst thing is to bore you and go too slowly. So uh, the first point, one way or another, we all make it through life. Uh, think about the people you know, you can think about yourself, you can think about yourself and you can blame it on the people you know, that's always best. Uh, if you were saying, sorry Betty, <laughs> uh, if you were saying how people make it through life, how do they make it through? If you'd characterize different ways to make it through life, how would you talk about it? People that you know, how would you talk about it? Go ahead, what would you say? Come on now. Yeah, there are some people who just go through life angry at everything. Yeah. One way to go through life is you can just be cranky. That's right. What else? Sorry? Stumbling, stumbling through life. Uh, I, I do know some people who stumble through life. Yes, I do. You probably do as well. Just sort of no clear direction. What else? How else? 
Joy is one way to go through life, a bit more, uh, uh, you can see it in all, you can see that in different ranges and for different reasons, but joy is a, is a salutary way to go through life. Keep going. Pity is a way, looking for, there are people who go through life, poor me, you know, pity me. And uh, now you begin to think about how people go through life. They, there are some people who can generate those things. And I was, uh, when I was in New York a few months ago giving some lectures, a guy from the Midwest stood up and said, everybody in the Midwest is passive aggressive. <laughs> and I thought, that's weird. And then I thought, but it's true. You know, <laughs> in New York, everybody tells you exactly what they think of you. And it's sort of refreshing. You know, they just, you know, the bag boy tells you off at the grocery store. And it's like, thanks for being honest. Thanks for sharing. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a professor from a seminary up in Minneapolis, an ELCA guy, he said, everybody in the Midwest is passive aggressive. So in some ways, you see, we can generate. So you can go through life sort of also trying to generate pity for, from people, right? You can generate anger from other people. I've met people whose, um, as they grew up, their lives were very chaotic. And that's really the only way that they can, they can understand the world. So what you'll find is when you're in a peaceful situation with them, they create some chaos so they can feel comfortable. You ever know anybody like that? You know, kind of stir. If you haven't, then you should just think back on your last five family holidays. Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas, Easter, when you had more than 12 family members there. You know, no, maybe not. Maybe, maybe your family is different. I don't know. Uh, no? <laughs> Anything else? People can just stay busy. I think I've told you I had a friend, a good friend once who um, about every time about every time their life settled into where they should really pay attention to spiritual things, they moved to a different house. And then it always took them four or five years to get settled in, and new bank, new location, new blah, blah. Just about the time they should tend to what's most important, um, when things calmed down, they'd move to a different house. And then their life would be again a tizzy, and then they'd spend four or five years settling it down, and it'd be a tizzy again. So yeah, some people kind of busy their way through lives. Anything else? Another way to go through is just cynical. You can just expect the worst of everybody. But another way to go through life is faithful, where you can expect the best of everybody and presume that the Lord is sorting it out in the way of the gospel. Um, and that would sort of bring us to where we are, I hope, which is, would be uh, kind of a merciful way to go through life. Um, I've been thinking a lot about justice and mercy over the past couple of years and uh, what that means and how those two things fit together. Uh, <laughs> we'll get it out of you next week, Betty, don't worry. <laughs> we know where you live. <laughs> There's another way to go through life. <laughs> uh, but I just sort of push you then to, to point number two. With his good, gracious gospel, follow me. Jesus bids us to live in a particular way. So your options may not be as wide as you think they are, at least in terms of being a Christian, uh, when Christianity means doing what Jesus says, says, says and, 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 and does. So you heard even in the gospel for today, when Jesus, everybody's all worried that some guy is casting out a demon in his name. And Jesus says, you know, whatever you do inside my name is going to be fine. Um, now that's not, doesn't mean you can do anything for the sake of the church or anything you think is right. It means whatever you can get out of the name. It's kind of a specific territory. It's Eden. It's the boundaries of Eden. So Jesus bids us um, to live in a particular way. And you remember in the New Testament that became capitalized, the way. So sometimes we say the way of the gospel or the way of Christ. We're not just making that up. That's actually the acts uh, denominator for what 
what, what Christians were called. So Paul persecuted anyone who belonged to the way. So there's, it, it suggests that there's a way of going through life that is the Christian way of going through life, and it may not look like any other way. Certainly it can't look like self-pity. Certainly it can't look like cynicism. Certainly it can't look like anger. We even have to ask whether it can look like justice. We're going to have to talk about that, especially for ourselves. So Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, suggest there's a way back home to Eden. I'm the way. Follow me. Here we go. And you remember there's some very difficult stories in the New Testament where Jesus asked people to follow him. I'm always struck especially by that guy who was asked to be the 13th disciple. You remember this rich guy comes and said, what should I do? Jesus says, you can sell everything and you can come be one of the guys. And says he went away because he was a very rich man. It's great sadness. That's the best offer anybody ever had. You know, and he just, he just couldn't, he couldn't come free of his own way in order to live the Jesus way. So we're on this side of the ascension. I have point number three. The church has always been conscious of how it ought to make its way from here to there. The church has always been conscious that it's on a journey. We're going somewhere. You know, it's the window that's in front of you. We're going somewhere. We're going to the last day. We're going to Eden. We're going home. We're going to heaven. That's how the church has always talked, that we're along the way, that we're on a journey. That's how the church has talked. And that, that means a lot, especially if you've been on long journeys before. If you've traveled with people, you often, you'll learn about people as you travel with them, especially in, in, in sort of uh, difficult or unforgiving circumstances. You learn a lot by traveling with people. Right? Because you get uncomfortable, you get disoriented, you don't have everything you, that you have at home. You might not even have some things you need. Uh, but to, to learn to give space and grace to the people who are around you as you go on the way, that's the way of Jesus. So um, he's pulling us back, and you hear it all over the New Testament. I just give you one example from Second Peter. Since all these things are to be dissolved, all the things that we think are pretty important, you know, where we live and what we drive and what we do and what we have, since all of this is going to be dissolved on the last day, which is a great, it's a great word. I mean, if you can just see things around you dissolving, and then you ask yourself what's left. And you remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, it says of Christians that you'll pass through some sort of purging, some sort of fire as you go into heaven, and it'll burn away all the things that were antichrist in you, and all the things that were Christ-like will live on forever. There's this beautiful image of, and now I don't even know how that strikes you, but I hope that strikes you as a beautiful image of being purified that everything in you that's evil or bad or halfway or bitter or cynical or unkind is left behind. And everything that's in the way of Christ lives forever. It's a very nice image of what happens to you when you die, when the last day comes. So since all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be? How are you going to live? How are you going to talk? What are you going to do? What are you going to be for? What are you going to be against? How are you going to treat other people? How are you going to raise your kids? Where are you going to work? How are you going to say your prayers? What sort of people ought we to be in holiness and godliness, waiting for, so it's common, but the next part is interesting too, hastening, that with your prayers, with your life, with your kindness, with your mercy, you bring this sinful world to a close. You, you, you hurry up the end of the sinful world. Uh, so you, you, you uh, so I'm always struck when older people, occasionally one of the things we have with shut-ins, um, 
is that they think that their lives aren't worth anything anymore. And regularly what the pastors do is simply ask them to pray. So we can pray for us. That'd be a good job for you. You can pray for the church. You can hasten the day that the Lord returns. So um, what, I, what we want to do is just ask ourselves questions about that going forward with a key toward mercy. What would it mean to live a merciful kind of life? What would that look like? So I, I move you then to Matthew 18, if you will, 23. It's a um, great little story that Jesus talks about. So the first gospel and midway through. Um, now you're clever. If you're clever, <coughs> you'll notice there's all sorts of forgiveness talk in Matthew 18, kind of the classic text or one of the classic texts about, about how you forgive people. Uh, and this is tied to that in verse 23. Um, you know, the word, the really, you know, what the text says, it probably says therefore in your text, right? Therefore, Jesus told this story. But it really, the, the most literal translation is because of this. So because of all the things that Jesus has just said about forgiveness, and it's a very interesting text, you know, that Matthew 18 is ahead of that. Um, and there's some other talk about how many times you forgive and also about the lost sheep. So Jesus has been describing the kingdom. Now he says because of this, he tells them a story. So maybe they didn't get it all the way, or maybe he wants to keep going, or he wants to push it a little farther, they don't quite understand, or maybe they're struggling with mercy and justice and how you live out your life and when you do what. But because of this, um, because of this, Jesus tells them a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, now when you hear settle accounts, what do you hear? What do you hear when you hear settle accounts? You do hear some negotiation. Good. <laughs> From a very good businessman, that comes. <laughs> you know, you, you hear settle accounts, so you do hear some negotiation. Do you, do, you, do, you, um, do you hear a happy circumstance or not? Yeah, you don't normally. Uh, normally you don't. If your boss is calling you in, or especially a king, we hardly have this understanding, but kings, you know, can do what they want with you. You know, there's a reason you kneel when you're knighted. There's a reason there's a sword. I suppose the queen could lop your head off if she wanted, or she can sort of tap you and let you go on about your business. There's probably not much negotiating with the, with the, with the king. So, right, so we have to, you, you know, we, we, we might hear this in, in a grim circumstance. Okay. But, but, it, but it might not be grim. Can you think of a time when it's not... Um, so, so take the negotiating out. What are the, what are the possibilities of what could happen here? What do you think could happen? I mean, you know the story, but in, in general, if your boss calls you in, what are the, what's the range of possibilities? Yes, you have a lot of nervous stomachs in the crowd this morning. So uh, it is possible that you could be fired. What's the other possibility? It could be a bonus. Yes, it could be a bonus, Carol. Thank you very much. Or it could, it could be a promotion, yes, it could be a promotion and a bonus, and all the rest of you are fired, apparently. So it could be, you know, there are, there are a couple of possibilities here, that's right. Um, depends on the character of the king. So here we go, let's see what happens. Um, uh, the, the, the king wants to settle up accounts, but I will say, and I did, I did sort of put this, the first element of the story is a justice element. I mean, you're going to get promoted on your merits or you're going to get fired on your merits. It's going to be one of those two things. Um, and at the end of the first page, under point seven, 
uh, just keep in mind that justice is not a bad thing. And I want to be, be very careful with this, because as we talk about justice and mercy, um, even when we talk about law and gospel, sometimes people hear this as the law is bad, the gospel is good. Justice is bad, mercy is good. No, actually, the law is good and the gospel is good. Justice is good and mercy is good. The problem is, is that they're good depending on how they're used. They're good in different um, circumstances. I mean, if you're brilliant and, and you've hit all your numbers and exceeded them, uh, justice is a great deal. But, uh, so I put the law is great stuff for the perfectly honest, the perfectly upright, the perfectly solvent, because the law, justice, gives us what, a, what we deserve. If you deserve a promotion, if you deserve a bonus, if you've done extraordinarily well, if you've exceeded all expectations, then justice is your friend. The law is your friend. If you're perfect, the law is your friend. Um, there's no way that it can get to it. However, for the rest of us, it is hell, uh, literally. For anybody who's come up short, fairness is kind of a horrible thing. You know, this is why it's extraordinarily important that God is unfair rather than fair. Uh, to be fair, man, if you really want fairness, if you really want justice, boy, that's a, that's a, tough, that's a tough life. Um, unless you live with perfect people. Okay, so just sort of keep that in mind. So, so let's see what happens. He wants to settle up accounts. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Could be good, could be bad, but it's going to be fair. It's going to be just. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. So for you, that's $10 billion. Okay? For, for somebody who owed him you know, this extraordinary amount, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, this is, smells much like the derivatives market. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. That's the way of justice. You'll pay and pay and pay and pay until the debt is paid off, and if it's never paid off, you never pay off. Okay? It's utterly fair. It's utterly right. It's utterly just. It's utterly perfect, and it is utterly miserable. So I just sort of put it out there. If you, if I, 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 what I want you to just have in the background are default, and partly it's a sinful default, is to demand justice. Um, and I've been musing over a couple of texts from Jesus where he says, you know, judge not, you won't be judged. And then the next line, of course, you all know is what? With the measure you judge, you'll be judged, right? Or, you know, kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, Peter, put your sword away. So, you know, we need to think about that because we have a default for justice and we love it and respect it and we know it's a good thing. And yet because we can't live by it, it turns on us in a way. There's, there's a way that um, the demand for justice for ourselves can eat us up. Now, I've also been trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to talk about that in terms of justice for other people. Because if you push this in the wrong direction, what will happen is the poor will never be fed, and the, um, the underprivileged will never be cared for, and the people to whom Jesus says this morning in the gospel to give a cup of cold water, they will never have a cup of cold water. 
So we're going to have to be clever about how we figure this out in terms of ourselves and in terms of other people. Okay, so we have to work at that as we go through. So um, Salim, that's the way justice works. Justice works by restitution. You know, you keep going until you get it all made up. Um, and if justice is the way of things, this is really important. If you choose justice, there's no latitude. I mean, if strict justice is, this is the sentencing guideline, this is what you get. So there's no forgiveness and there's no reason to expect any mercy. In a strict justice conversation, don't even, you don't even bring mercy to the foreground. So this servant, who must have been a pretty big deal, because to get yourself this much in a jam, you know, $10 billion worth, you have to have at least enough juice to get your hands on money that you can leverage into such a mess. So his fall, this is a big fall for himself, for his family, for his job, for his future. His, uh, his life's over, okay? Now you can stop the story there, or, uh, and then we can all say then we're just justice people, or we can sort of move on and see what happens next, which is what Jesus does. The servant fell on his knees before him, um, which you recognize as the, as the posture of um, servitude. I was washing the dishes on Friday night, watching the special on tattoos in Russian prisons, just in case I should ever need that kind of information. <laughs> I don't know what you do when you because that's what was on. So here's what I learned, okay? The guys you gotta watch out for in the Russian prisons are the guys who have stars tattooed on their knees. In fact, later, I know Betty, this is, I, but it's a big world out there. <laughs> I know. Because the guys with stars tattooed on their knees, it's a sign that they never kneel down. Like, they'll kill you before they'll be subservient to you. I learned a lot of other things, too. It was a lot of dishes. So um, <laughs> then, I, then I'm reading this stuff thinking, okay, that kind of makes some sense. So to fall on your knees with somebody is to say, it's, it's the cry for mercy. I'll, you know, whatever you do with me, that's what I'm going to take. And frankly, you know, of course, it can't get any worse for this guy. I mean, he's going to die somewhere. It's all over for him. So he falls to his knees. Be patient with me, he says, which has um, a literal reading of have a big heart with me. See, that's a little more fun than patience because we worry about, oh, you know, I'm patient, I'm impatient, I don't know. The, the literal reading can be of this. Could you have a big heart for me? So it's, a, it's, it's sort of this little thing. Can you make space for me in your heart? Which might be a way of thinking about how we engage each other. Can you make space for each other in your heart? Is there any room in there for me? That's what he's asking. So is there any room there for me? Space and grace. Uh, be patient, he said. And then, of course, the, but you know, the lie that follows. Be patient with me, and I will make it all back. Right? Really, if you just give me the money again, I think I could make this work out. Yeah, see? Um, I'll pay back everything. Now, what's he done? What's the shift there? What's he got going on in the sentence? Can you see? When he, says, when he says, make space in your heart for me, what kind of plea is that? What do you say? It's about mercy. Yeah, that's a plea for mercy. And then what's the second half? And I'll pay everything back. What kind of a plea is that? That's a justice plea. I'll make it right. And you see the to two things don't fit together. It's going to be either one or the other. You're either going to make space for me 
and you're in your big-heartedness. Uh, it's a little like the prodigal son. You know, if we do the prodigal son later, you'll want to watch for this. Remember, he tries to do a deal. Doing a deal is the way of justice. When it's, when it's him and the king working it out together, that's justice. That's negotiation, which is another step down from uh, complete justice. There's kind of a negotiated settlement. That's still justice, right? And, of course, you know in the church, I mean, Galatians begins with Paul saying, hey, there's no negotiation going on here. It's Jesus plus nothing else. If anybody says it's Jesus plus something else, if anybody says it's a negotiation, if anybody says it's Jesus' good works and your good works, if anybody says it's Jesus plus anything else, let him be anathema, let him be cursed. He's finished. Okay? Jesus is telling the same story here. So no negotiation. And, and you know, for your own prayers, um, sometimes we, we sort of do a deal with God. I'll do this if you only blah, blah. Here's the real thing. Jesus doesn't really need anything you've got, especially not as a negotiation. I mean, it might be good for you to clean up your prayers, and it might be good for you to be a better dad, and it might be better for you to be more faithful in coming to church during the Eucharist. But Jesus doesn't need that for him. You need that for you. So try to keep the distinction. Try to keep the distinction. There's never a negotiation in the Christian life. Um, a lot of times people come and say, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. I promised I'd do this. Or sometimes even the more fearsome things, people say, I promised I would do it and it did happen. Now they're stuck with this vow they've made the rest of their life. You know, now they're under this weightiness that they've, you know, because they played, they played outside, outside the boundaries of a big heart. They want to live within the big heartedness. So um, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient, he begged. I'll pay back everything. And then the payoff, um, the servant's master. And you notice how that puts things. We had a king, we had a king and, and a businessman, now we've got a servant and a master. So that puts things in order. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. So I ask you now, just you're, you're hearing Jesus tell you this story for the first time. Why did the king take pity on him? What do you think? Why, 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 would, why would the king do this? What do you think? And you know, no reading ahead, just kind of think through. What do you, what, I'm, why, why would the king do this for anybody? All right, he showed to, to have compassion, to show, show mercy. That's you guys. And then Betty's much more realistic to get his vote. Now, here's the thing, <laughs> Betty. Good impulse, but um, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just the best. Because uh, he could. Now, let me, you're good, because he could. But now I want, I'm asking a different question, though. Why does he do that? Because he could do it, maybe because. The other guy can't do it, of course, right? He could have hurt sincerity. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because he could and he wanted to. Yeah. Maybe somebody showed him mercy in his earlier days. Good, yeah. We do learn from what people have done to us. You know, we learn how to punch each other in the nose. We learn how to show mercy. You said? Maybe he's having a good day. <laughs> Honestly, I think, the, I, I think the church would go a lot better if people once in a while would just say, he just had a bad day. Let, let's just say he had a bad day. Or in this case, let's just say he had a good day. If we all said to each other, maybe Paul's just having a bad day. 
We'll just, we'll just wake up and try this again tomorrow. Church will be a lot better place. He maybe wanted to keep the guy who's stolen $10 billion from him. It's possible. There are people who are like that, Maddie, in life. There are people who are that big. Uh, we're going to hold that question. So the question is, would, he, would the man now be indebted to him because he let him go? And then my question would be, can you say that in a law way or a gospel way, hold on to that? That's going to be a valuable question in about four verses. Thomas? It shows the power of the king. Why does it show the power of the king? There you go. Yeah, he's the only one who can do it. Right. So some way, <laughs> it is a Christian idea. It's not often, well, let's just say it's not worn out, but uh, it, is in fact a, it is in fact a Christian idea, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. So, so let's just take you, Thomas. When the Lord forgives you, does he forgive you because... Um, you're so needy, or you've made such a good confession, or you're a wreck, or you're a nice guy, or thank you. Why does he forgive you? That's right, because he wants to do it. He's gracious. So this is, and this is the point I was sort of driving at, which is the first answers didn't get all the way there, but the latter answers did, which is, does the reason lie inside the king, or does it lie inside the servant? And the answer is, it lies inside the king, right? Only the king can change this. There's nothing that the servant can do. When you've punked somebody this badly, I mean, when you've lost $10 billion of their money after they trust you. So this is a breach of trust which goes, you know, very deeply. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is true, I think, for all of you when you come to other people who beg for mercy from you. You know, can anybody... And maybe it's different with the Lord and us. Maybe we're just trying to catch on. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll put it, put it kind of strongly first. Nobody can make you forgive anybody else, right? And you've seen people, I'm sure you've seen people in your life. Maybe you've done it as a father or mother. Maybe you did it as a son and you didn't get anything back from your parents. But you can't produce, you can't be there are some circumstances where you can't be repentant enough, you can't be pitiful enough, you can't make somebody else. You've all been in circumstances where one person begged for mercy and they got no mercy at all. You've all seen that in one, in one place or another. Maybe that's even been you on one side or the other. Maybe you've been a place where people begged for mercy and, and you wouldn't give it. Maybe you've begged for mercy in the past and somebody wouldn't give it to you. Um, the point of that is at least especially for the king, who of course is the, is the father figure here, God the father figure here, is that there's nothing you can do to earn it, make it happen, cause it, but it can be had. And it happens because it's all internal to the king. That's what he wants to do with his life. And so part of it, to live in the way of Jesus, is to say to yourself, this is how I want to live my life. So, so I'm going to translate this for you now in, in a very practical way, which is it doesn't matter what anybody else does to you or says to you. It doesn't matter if people are begging for mercy or if they come hard against you. The answer is, since it's already internal, you simply make the choice that you yourself will live mercifully. 
the king chooses in himself to live mercifully. It's not, the, the, think of it, the, the servant has no leverage. There's nothing the servant can do to the king. He's got nothing. He thinks he has something because he still wants to do a deal. I'll order it all back. He has absolutely nothing. That's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to forgive people for no good reason. To forgive people in advance. He's forgiven people as they nail them to the cross. He keeps the heart going so their hands can still hold the hammers and put the nails through his hands. He forgives them for no good reason. Father, forgive them. It's an internal reason that has nothing to do with the begging. Okay? So just sort of hold that. Um, and I gave you the Greek words under 10 there just to show you how nice the words were. Um, this is at verse 27. When the servant went out, I'm sorry, should have been 26. The, oh, 27. The servant's master took pity on him. It's that splachna word, which you know, you've probably heard about in the past. Splachna is your, it's your, it's all your inside stuff. I don't know if you've ever, you should, I'm sure you have, you know. You know how you feel? Sometimes you feel warm inside when you love somebody. And he just feels, you know, the energy just sort of comes out of you. That's the splachna, the root splachna is the, what does that in the Greek. It's any time everything sort of warms up in a good way inside you and it comes out as compassion. It sort of translates literally as your, as, your, as your insides are compassionate towards somebody else. So that's the word that's used there. Um, he has this gut reaction, which, you know, I, I Kapan is very nice for these kinds of things where he said, which of course is opposite than your head reaction. If you've got the calculator out and you're calculating justice-wise, he still owes me 10 million bucks. I'm feeling warm, but he still owes me 10 million bucks. I mean, Kapan will say, he's thinking with his gut and not with his head. What does that teach you? Okay. So, and then the words that are used to describe this, the master took pity on him, canceled the debt. That's the word for release or freedom or loosing or divorcing or sending. So it has, it, it's all this stuff of impulse, of freedom. Okay. And let him go. He pardoned the debt and he let him go, which means there's no strings attached. And of course, you're church people, you're used to this, and we say this all the time. We say, yeah, with forgiveness, there's no strings attached. But, you know, I know there's strings attached. You know, I know it, there are for me sometimes, and I know there are for you sometimes. I've seen him in me, I've seen him in you. But a real mercy is a no-strings-attached deal. Of course, you want people to be merciful the next time, and Phil's got a great, makes a great point when he says, we learn to be merciful when people are merciful to us. If you want to grow merciful kids, you're merciful to them, right? But to be able to live with no strings attached, to, 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 to live in mercy no matter what anybody else does, that's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be in the way of Jesus. Just a little pause. You okay with that? Yes, please. My lawyer friend. <laughs> what would one be? Go ahead. Yeah, okay, good. So let's, let's read with that question in mind. That would be a good way to go. So the question is, are there strings attached? So let's read the rest of the, rest of the thing. All right, so he's got this great, no strings attached, I was arguing, and, but we've got to pose the question. This is good. Um, 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants uh, who owed him 100 bucks, right? 
you're supposed to see the difference. A denarii is a day's wage, a talent is, you know, so he owes him 100 days wages versus a lifetime of earnings or more than you could ever, you know. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Okay, so forced violence. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded force. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. And of course, you're smart enough to see this is just the story told again, right? So this is exactly the same. You have a master now, you have a servant, you have somebody fallen, own money, you have somebody fallen to their knees, right? Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. He fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, even the same words, right? Be patient with me. Could you make some room in your heart for me? <clears throat> and I will pay you back. And the, the weird thing is, there's actually the possibility that in this case he could maybe pay him back. Maybe? 100 days? He probably could figure that out somehow. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And of course, you're smart enough to know that debtor's prison, nobody ever gets out of debtor's prison, right? You can come out as soon as you can pay the debt, but of course you can't work to pay the debt, so it's a life sentence. So he steals the man's life from him. With a very small heart. This is Grinch stole Christmas stuff, okay? Um, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went to their master and told him everything that happened. And the master called the servant in. So this is the good place for that question. Aren't there strings attached? The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debts that you owed me because you begged me. Okay? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. And then, I mean, this is a brutal sort of punchline. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So let's press your question now because it's an extraordinarily good question. Um, are there strings attached? What do you say? Are there strings attached? Certainly Dennis's question is right in some way. There's something going on there, right? So what does it mean? How would you describe that? I've made a fairly impassioned plea for no strings attached and that the story ends up, the strings are all back in place. What happened? I'm just asking you, what happened? Yes, please. Well, if you want mercy, you have to show mercy. If you're going to show justice, then maybe you want justice and you don't deserve it. Good. So if you want mercy, show mercy. And if you want justice? If you're showing you justice, that must be what you want. That's what you want. So if you want justice, you'll get justice. Now, my question is, how can I rescue that in the way of Jesus? Because that is a crisp way of saying it. But the first, the first bit, and that's probably, you know, that's, and that kind of, I think, might lie behind your question. If you want mercy, show mercy. But I, let me see if I can separate the two parts of the sentence. Um, certainly, I think the last part is right. If you want justice, you'll get justice. If you want justice, you'll get justice. I mean, Thank you very much. But there's still no strings to the mercy. Okay? So if you want justice, if you want justice, you get justice. If you want force, you get force. You want anger, you get anger. If you want violence, you get violence. Think of the sermon hymn today. If that's what you if those are the rules by which you want to play, Jesus says it's all yours. It's because that's how the world works. 
And that is how the world works. If you want to play by force, have a run, but you should know. I mean, if you have any sense at all, there's always somebody bigger, faster, stronger, richer, brighter than you are. So you may enjoy it for a day, but at some point you're going to run into somebody and you owe a big debt, and that's going to be end if that's what you want. So that's one half. That certainly seems to be Jesus' message. Now, we're going to have to still save mercy from strings attached. Carol, you said... There's still no strings to mercy. Okay, if there's no strings to mercy, then why does the king react the way he reacts? That's right, because the servant refused his way, his mercy, right? So there's one way and another way. So, so Dennis, I'm thinking, see if this satisfies or not. Um, the Lord puts before us the way of life and the way of death, the way of truth and the way of, 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 of violence, the way of mercy and big-heartedness, the way of small-heartedness and getting our way. Uh, if, you want it, if you want the one thing, you can certainly have it. But the other thing comes as a gift. And as soon as you don't live within it, you default to the other side. So let me see if I can escape your question this way, which is to live in mercy is to live without strings, to live big-hearted, to give people a lot of space and grace. And as long as you're playing in there, inside Eden, inside the church, inside the way of Jesus, inside the cross of Jesus, inside the Eucharist, inside the creed, inside the Ten Commandments, as long as you're playing inside that, everything runs by mercy. If you won't play that way, then you'll have it another way. Okay, does that let me escape? If you won't have Jesus this way, then you'll have him another way. So if you won't have him the stringless way, go ahead. He took advantage of it, which you all know. I mean, we could spend an hour talking about this. You've all been, there have all been times in your life when you've been merciful to somebody, and they've screwed you because of it. Mercy opens up your heart. You've had this. Can you remember your first girlfriend? And unless you married her, she broke up with you. <laughs> you had this great big heart for her, and then what happened? She put it under one of those steamrollers with the spikes that come out and went backward and forward, just before homecoming. Ouch. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> big-heartedness, big-heartedness, big-heartedness um, makes itself vulnerable. Why does Jesus get nailed to a cross? Because they can, right? This is, not, this, is, this, story, this, is, this is the crucifixion story. Jesus comes in big-heartedness, and we don't learn anything. You know, we nail him to a cross instead. So mercy is to be vulnerable, and mercy is to lose. Or in fact, it is to win by losing, as Capon would say. But mercy is to lose. Mercy is to get nailed to a cross. Mercy is not a straight line towards some goal that you want. 
Mercy is about living together in a way that's gracious. And what matters is the people, not the things. What matters is the engagement of each other. That's, how, that's, how, that's what matters. And you can have that as a gift, and you can live in that and call that church, and that's what the church is meant to be. Or you can say, I just, I, I'm not satisfied, and I'm going to get what I want another way. And you can sort of bring the worldly stuff into the church, or you can leave the church and live in the world. But the way of the church is the way of mercy, no strings attached. So Jesus gives you this way, and he says, this is how we're going to live together. And, and, and see, you've got to make the point just a little bit finer. Because here's what happens. We're all going to screw up. Me, you, all of us. We're going to do it collectively, individually. We're all going to screw up. Okay. Now there's a way you can screw up and still be in the church. Which is to come every week and be repenting of it. And to be forgiving of it. And there's a way that you can screw up and put yourself outside the church. You know, to be hard-hearted or even to absent yourself from the Eucharist and from the community. Or, and there's a way you can never be in the church. But what Jesus is saying is, the only way to live in mercy is to have it as a gift, and then to, then to live it out. Um, you know, it's a frightening story because sometimes, apparently, our sins can be so egregious they can put us away for life. I mean, they can, they can, it's, it's ungetoutable for this guy. He goes to prison and he's never coming out. And Jesus says, doesn't really, this is how my Heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive each other from your heart. That should at least bring the terror of repentance to all of us, to say, if I've got any place I'm not being merciful to people, that really needs to be confessed and forgiven. But the other side of it is, is um, a no-strings-attached life where we give everybody a lot of space and grace. And we know that we're going to sin um, because it's in us, and we know we're not going to be perfect till the last day. But we thank God who doesn't demand perfection from us, who comes to us and, and, and gives us a mercy that we can live within. I mean, I think that's the point where we want to push a little bit. I'm already at time, but... Um, I just want you to begin to consider this. Don't need all the answers the first day. But I just want you to, I just want you to decide what kind of people we are. I just, and I guess I want to do one more thing, which is your question and your question together. So Phil and Dennis's questions together, which is what we hope is that people do learn mercy. You know, we always know there's going to be people we're merciful to, and they're not going to be merciful back. We always know there's going to be people we're merciful to, and it's not going to have an effect. But I'll tell you what, people will never learn to be merciful if you're not merciful to them. If you're mean and violent and pushy and unforgiving toward people, they'll never come to mercy. The only possible way to live in mercy together is to be merciful. It might work sometimes. It might not work other times. In fact, it's not going to work other times. But to be unkind and unmerciful, it'll never work. So to be in the church is to find the, you know, to be, have a large-heartedness with people where you have the space and grace to err and then also be forgiven. Um, next week, the pastors are all going to be gone. We're, we're off to do several things on the East Coast. Among them, do a marriage seminar at the request of, of um, some pastors on the, on the East Coast. Uh, we're also going to do some stuff toward furnishings for the next, uh, for next door. There's, there's some, since we're already on our way, there's some uh, liturgical houses that have headquarters around New York. We're going to stop in and um, try to firm up some things as we move next door. So we won't be here. Pastor Just will be here. Um, can you remember what text he's doing? He told he sent me an email late on Friday and told me the text. Anyway, you should come back. Um, he'll sort of carry this idea forward. 
And you should begin to just think to yourselves what it would be like, you know? What, what's it like to live in Eden? What's it like to live in mercy? And what's it like to be less demanding of each other of perfection and more forgiving? Um, that might press us in a way that is more in the way of Jesus and less in the way of the world, okay? Thanks for your time. Um, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.